Welcome back to another episode of the Rumcast. This is the podcast where we talk all things rum with the people who love and shape the category. As always, I am here with my co-host today. He is John Gullah. I'm Will Hooking it, by the way. I probably should have thrown that in there. But John, how's it going over there? What's up? What's new with you? It's going well, Will. Thank you. And I had a good week. And um, I was uh, excited to talk about this on the podcast. Actually, I had a recent experience. Oh, yeah. uh, That was kind of cool. Probably everybody else on here may be like, oh, yeah, of course, I've done that. But I had never done this one thing. So I took my family down south of Miami. There's a place called Homestead. You may have heard of it. Wait, you can go... You can go farther south than Miami? (laughs) Believe it or not, Will. Are you just in the ocean? You can. No, before you hit the ocean, there is this place. And then you can even go further south uh, into the Keys, believe it or not. But no, this homestead lies between us and the ocean. So it's a, it's a, a rural area comparatively to to the big city Miami stuff, and so there's a lot of land out there, and okay. so it's nice, you know, to get away for for us city folk to get away into. I just a imagined bit of... it was like pure swampland once you got outside <laughs> Miami, is how I'm picturing it. <laughs> you know, it's probably not far removed from that, or once was <laughs> uh, swampland. <laughs> it it is now farmland. Okay. Um, and uh, so I have we, to remember we, that we have we have a good amount of Florida Rum Society listeners, so I I probably shouldn't be so disrespectful in my characterizations yeah. of Florida. I could say a lot of things about Tennessee, Will, but I oh, will yeah. not. You really I won't could stoop to that level. Believe um, me, I I grew up in Alabama, where the only state <laughs> that people ever can talk down on is Mississippi, um, which is is completely undeserved. And by the way, I was born in Mississippi, so I can say that. But yeah, believe me, I, I know that I can't really dish it out. You know, we love our southern states, right? Uh, <laughs> in fact, I just came back from Georgia on a work trip, and it was a fun trip, and got to experience some of the south there, some fried chicken as well. Oh yeah, but, I'm, but nice. yeah, it was it was really nice. But anyway, so I took my family out to Homestead, and uh, you know, it was just trying to have a good day and and enjoy the day out there. And we came upon a shake stand, and and uh, there's a little kind of I guess farm area there where a they shake were selling. Stand? This yeah, is they like were sell, uh, selling like- shakes. Okay, so I when you say like countryside and you say stand, I always imagine like a pie stand or something like with some <laughs> fresh baked pies, you know. Um, but a shake stand—that's interesting. A shake stand. Well, it was—it's like I guess it's their house, but then they also have part of it as their business, and they sell products like honey and and this other stuff. But the primary thing they sell is milkshakes, yes, <laughs> and juices. Okay. All right, of, of fruit juices, right? All right. And so I'm looking at the menu, and my girls are getting you know raspberry chocolate and mango or whatever they're getting, and I see a fresh squeezed cane juice drink. Oh, okay, so like this is separate from the milkshakes. This is right. So they okay, were doing I juices, say a cane as juice well. milkshake, which is no, going to strike that would me be, as a little bit be interesting. <laughs> um, so I, I was like, "Ooh, wow! I want to try this. I've never actually had just fresh pressed cane juice to drink." There you go. I've chewed on some before, but mm-hmm. I've never like had that. And I was like, "Ooh, that is nice!" And I didn't know I could get that local. So he had a press in the back, small yeah. one, and he, I saw him actually pressing the the fresh cane and made the juice and. And it was fantastic. And so I asked him, you know, like, do you grow that here? And he had no idea. He said, no, it didn't grow in his farm, but it was locally grown here in South Florida somewhere. He said there's a nearby place where he sources them from. He didn't have much more information than that. I I was so interested and he could tell, you know, I was a a rum or or I should say in this case, sugarcane nerd. Did it remind you at all of, say, rum agricole or anything or or rums distilled from fresh sugarcane juice at all? Could you make those connections in your brain? 
You absolutely can, I think. And obviously, it's a far cry from rum, and, and it's not exactly the same, but you get the the freshness, the grassy notes there mm-hmm. that's in rum agricole, and even some, you know, rums. I mean, you can pick some of that out. Uh, clearly, you, you know, it's easier to get the, the agricole and the cane juice rums, um, but there's notes that are, f- like, familiar and yet different. It, it I, was just, I ha- yeah. I've had fresh cane juice before, but it was before I was into rum. It was, it was right. uh, during a trip to Hawaii, and I really don't remember that much about it. it it's nice. It's light. It's got uh, a light quality like you might imagine. I, uh, it doesn't taste anything like coconut water, mm-hmm. but that same kind of freshness that's there. That, I got you, yeah. Uh, natural mm-hmm. whatever it is. Je ne sais quoi. Um, <laughs> So, uh, I love it, finding it w- reasons to say je ne sais quoi <laughs> Me in conversation. Too. It just makes um, you sound smart. So, uh, it, w- it was a nice day and it was fun. But as I'm talking to this guy, I tell him, you know, it eventually leads to the subject of rum. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, so I promise you will. I don't normally do this to everybody I meet. I'm not like, yeah, I have a rum podcast. <laughs> uh, but in this case, it was relevant enough that I was like, so like, I have this podcast that talks about rum. And, you know, I'm curious to know more about the, the sugar cane that you said it was grown here. And uh-huh. uh, like I said, he didn't know anything. But he started espousing these things of like, well, you know, he, he I asked him, does he drink rum? He said, ah, he's not too into rum. He mm-hmm. likes, you know, bourbon, which is not uh, uncommon, right? But I asked him, you know, you know, what rums have you tried? Why don't you like rum? That's ah, too sweet. Ah, there we and go. And I was like, well, wait a second. He said... You know, I, I was like, well, here's the thing. Not all rum is sweet. Uh-huh. And so that led me to think about some of those things, which you coincidentally had an idea of like, hey, at some point we should cover rum myths, misconceptions, and those type of things. And we encounter it all the time. Yeah. And so I figured, you know what? We, we really do need to do that. I love that story. And I've I think anyone listening to this who's been into rum for a while has had that same conversation with people. I mm-hmm. I remember one recently that sticks out in my mind because the rum is too sweet thing came up and the way the person I was talking to described it was every time I have rum, it makes me think of like baby's first drink. <laughs> which, wow. Which simultaneously like broke my heart and made me laugh, but also excited me at the opportunity to show someone that there's so much more, you know? Right, exactly. But, but, but yeah, the idea of myths and misconceptions, I think a lot of these things that we want to talk about are things that there's an awareness of them out there. But one thing that is really cool that I'm that I can easily forget a lot of times is we will get emails or messages and things like that from people who who listen to the podcast who have really just only recently started to explore the category. And, you know, somehow they managed to learn things from the podcast, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think having at least an occasional episode dedicated to discussing some of these myths, misconceptions. And actually, when we started discussing the idea, we were like, we should throw a third M in there for the sake of alliteration and for the sake of entertainment. We're also (laughs) going to talk a little bit about marketing speak, which is another thing that like occasionally can feed some of these myths and misconceptions. But we want to we want to, you know, today cover some ground, cover a few common myths, misconceptions uh, marketing speak that can be confusing when you're getting into the category or even like 
you know, a lot of times I'll find myself circling back to some of these and being like, wait, I know that that's like a misconception, but like, what what are the specifics with it? You know, right. like I have to almost do a refresher every now Especially and then. Especially when you're talking to somebody else, like in that case, you know, that was an mm-hmm. easy one. But there are other ones that you'll hear espoused and you're like, wait a second, I, I know that that's not right. I know that's not entirely right. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't always have that information at your fingertips to really get into that with them or feel justified enough in how you're going to address it, I guess mm-hmm. you would say. So I think part of the idea of doing this is is for those listeners out there who may be new enough to rum to pick up some of these and, and, and learn a little bit, but then also for our audience who we know is experienced enough in rum, but may want a little bit of a refresher course and to remember how some of these can be talked about or discussed right. and why maybe they matter. I, I'm excited. I, I wrote down a few ideas to start with and uh, excited to see how you respond to my ideas of myths and miscreants and, and miscreants. Miscreants. <laughs> That's <laughs> that the third whole category. Other category. That's, yeah. Miscreants is the, the last one. Those people are intentionally deceiving you. Um, myths and misconceptions. And I, I think it'll be fun for me to hear yours as well. Wait, can I ask you before we get into it, or, or maybe we want to talk about this one, but how yeah. did you respond to his characterization of rum is too sweet? So, you know, the first thing I said is, I, although it's made from sugarcane, like what we're doing here, and, and sugarcane obviously has a high content of sugar, when you distill sugarcane, then the, the sugar content is very little to none, depending on, you know, I, I didn't want to get into all the variables. And, and I, honestly, this was a five minute conversation that I didn't right. have all this time in the world, but uh, basically told him, you know, not all rums are sweet. And in fact, there's a lot out there that you can try that are, that are closer to bourbon. In their, in their profile, ex-bourbon casks, and I mentioned that. And I think I actually got around to him in, in, in some interest there in like, huh, you know, there was an, uh, an uh, aha moment there of like, well, I just I honestly didn't know that. You actually, in that explanation, touched on one of my things that I want to talk about, which is part misconception to me and part yeah. marketing speak. Um, but yeah, I, w- I want to circle back real quick before I get into that. One thing that I like to tell people with the whole... because the sweet perception can come from two different things or sometimes both at the same time. One of which is if someone knows rum is related or comes from sugar cane in some capacity, obviously that's an easy connection to make to sweetness. The other one is they've had a rum that is actually sweetened post distillation in some way of which there are many. Um, And, you know, a lot of times people will throw in, uh, Captain Morgan or something like that, which is a spice exactly. rum, and we don't even really think of in our brain in the same way, but um, to a lot of people, that's what rum is, or, or Malibu even, um, <laughs> yeah. which is like, I don't like 20, 20 something percent ABV, I think. Uh, anyway, I, I like to tell people for, during fermentation, sugars, like you have to have sugars in order for fermentation to happen and to create alcohol during fermentation which is why when whiskey is made for example they mash and like they they cook it up you know um to to create those sugars in the grain because they don't accessible they're not Mm -hmm. already in there like you have with molasses or with sugarcane juice for example but once something goes through the fermentation process and then is distilled it doesn't matter if it comes from sugarcane juice molasses whatever uh, there's not going to be any sugar left on the other side. Mm-hmm. So that's you know what I like to tell people. And from there, it's pretty easy to see that rum is, is basically made in a very similar way to whiskey or something else that they already have a frame of reference with. So yeah, 
that's kind of how I like to approach it. And um, And slowly but surely trying to turn the tide. That's funny you mentioned that. And the two different ways are actually, oh, man, I'm going to go way super geeky and nobody is going to care about this. But (laughs) in philosophy, there's something called epistemology, which is how you know things, right? Mm -hmm. And so you just mentioned two of the different ways of how you can know things. One is a priori. And one ah. is posteri- uh, posteriori, something like that. Gosh, I'm, I'm forgetting what it is, but it's something like that. And one means you have experience of, mm-hmm. right? Posteriori, I think, is what it's called. Therefore, like you said, oh, I tasted a rum, it was sweet, therefore rum is sweet. And then you have a priori, which is like armchair experience of thinking. You're saying, well, it comes from sugar cane. Oh, sugar cane is sweet, okay. therefore yeah. all rum is sweet. So, yeah, we, we can absolutely cut that out if... <laughs> <laughs> if you're no, the only like one it. that might that's, be interested in that. That's but, interesting. Um, but yeah, that that's uh, I, I just thought it was interesting you found the two different ways that, that people think we can know things. There you go. There's your philosophy 101 course for the day. Well, I want to circle back to something you mentioned, and I don't think you quite emphasized it in the way that I often see it emphasized. But this is something in the marketing speak category that like I always like something about it grinds my gears a little bit. Um Ooh. And here's the thing. I know if you're a rum company, you really want the whiskey drinkers. Like, we want to convert the whiskey drinkers to rum. Bring them Uh, in. You know, you want... They want some of that market. Yeah. Exactly. They want some Mm -hmm. of that market. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an easy transition in a lot of ways when you hand the right rum to someone who likes whiskey. Uh, But something I hear a lot is basically, people say in a lot of different ways, but I see a lot of companies emphasizing like whiskey drinkers will like our rum because it's aged in X bourbon barrels Uh as if they have some sort of like exclusive production method (laughs) involving X bourbon barrels that nobody else does. We're not like those other rums. Exactly. Which (laughs) when in fact that is like the most commonly used cooperage in all of aged rum. And also another thing about that is to me, you're more likely to get a, rum that will appeal to whiskey drinkers if you age it in new American oak barrels rather than ex-bourbon because new American oak is what bourbon is aged in, (laughs) right? Uh And so you're going to pick up a lot of those characteristics. And that's not to say there aren't rums that have some of those whiskey-ish characteristics that are aged in ex-bourbon barrels because, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, obviously Foursquare is one that is a great introductory rum uh, for someone who likes whiskey, whether it's you know, one of their releases or Dooley's or whatever. And a lot of yeah. that rum is aged in ex-bourbon barrels. But to me, the the rums that display the most bourbon-esque characteristics are, some, yeah. are ones that use new American oak, like you often see in a privateer or something like that. So anyway, you brought up the ex-bourbon huh. barrel thing, and that's just something that sticks out to me sometimes. I see people really emphasize it and try to make that whiskey connection. And I'm just like, I get what you're doing, but like, you know... Yeah, and it's it's an easy one, right? It's the easy answer to say, oh, you like bourbon? Well, this is aged in ex-bourbon barrels, and that just inherently makes sense to people. It does, yeah. Um, so, so I get that. That's actually a really great point that I'd never considered, though, in terms of New American Oak versus the ex-bourbon. And I totally actually get that, having tasted both a fair amount of times, and can see how both have that kind of bourbon-esque feel. But yeah, I kind of... You, you, you've put a light bulb off in my head at this moment in time, Will. I see, even I am learning uh, some of these misconceptions and thoughts, huh? Because I, I never well, I think, thought of I it think, in that way. 
I think part of it for me is also like, uh, you know, I have plenty of whiskey drinking friends that I want to convert to rum just because I want more people to appreciate rum. But at the same time, I want them to like rum for what it is, you know? And so sometimes when like we go down to that level of trying to like make it too similar to whiskey, it's just kind of like, but also like it because it's rum, you know? Um, so I don't know if I'm communicating that clearly, but... I, I get where you're going in. And recall, you know, as listeners will know, that that's exactly what led me into rum. Yeah, Was absolutely. the same thing and kind of that that bourbon uh, into rum and, and getting the similar kind of product. And I, I was sold in the same way. But, so to your point, I get where you're going with that of like, yeah, but let's make it rum appreciation for rum. At the same time, if it if it hooks you in, I'm okay with that. I yeah, and, and again, I'm totally, I'm not trying to gatekeep, like I'm totally fine with meeting yeah. people where they are and making that connection. But I just think sometimes you see companies emphasizing the ex-bourbon thing in that kind of like this makes like the fact that we age in ex bourbon barrels makes our rum special or different, you yeah. know? Yeah. And that yeah. just kind of like you know, do we really have to do this? You know, can we, can, can we, come on, come on. All right. Well, I think we covered one or two already somehow, <laughs> yeah. um, but we should probably take a short break and get into the rest. Let's do it. back to talk about more myths, misconceptions, and marketing speak. And uh, we already covered a, a couple that I think will probably everybody would think of when they start thinking about a subject like this. Um, but I know there are lots of others, and I know we're going to mix in some uh, that way. But go ahead and, and let me know, Will, what is something that you consider a myth, misconception, or marketing speak you want to bring up now? Yeah, so this is a misconception that I still see thrown around a lot in, in forums online and stuff like that. And most of the time, someone will jump in and point out the, you know, exceptions to this mm-hmm. maxim, I guess. Maxim, that's another M word, maxims. Yeah, um, so this is maybe a, a misleading maxim. But this idea that it, a lot of times when people are getting into rum, they want to know what rums don't have additives, Right. And so one thing that gets thrown out a lot is, well, if you see that a rum is from Jamaica or Barbados, it won't have any additives. And this is the kind of thing where it's like most of the time it's true, but it's Mm -hmm. not totally true. And I also a lot of times see people say stuff like, well, if it comes from Barbados, they they legally can't add sugar to rums, which I I, like I, I could think of examples in my mind of rums that came from Barbados that did have sugar added. Yeah. But I was trying to make sure, like, is is this ideal idea of legality, is this true or not? And so, you know, I did some researching, and I can't find anything that actually says that's illegal. I, I do think, you know, obviously Foursquare, Mount Gay, St. Nicholas mm-hmm. Abbey are, mm-hmm. are brands from Barbados that are known for not adding sugar um, and emphasize it, uh, especially Foursquare, for example. And that's part of the whole GI conversation is, exactly. um, you right. know, that's a point in the GI, no sugar added post-distillation. But again, you can find examples of 
rum from Barbados. And we even when we talked to Don Ben in our previous episode about the new Stades rum that's being made at West Indies mm-hmm. Rum Distillery, um, I think a lot of times people also think, well, the ones that have sugar are ones that are going, you know, they they bring up plantation Barbados releases that go to France, France first right. and like it's done in France, so that's mm-hmm. allowed. But if you did it in Barbados, it wouldn't be allowed. But that's not entirely true. And he even talked about one of the new Stades rums has some sugar added post-distillation and it's done in Barbados. So again, I think that's a, a misconception that people have. And, you know, it's something to keep in mind as you're as you're looking for rum to buy. And Jamaica, again, Jamaica does have a law. Uh, it's called the Jamaican Excise Duty Act that mm-hmm. says, uh, quote, except as may be otherwise permitted by the commissioner, nothing shall be added to any spirits in a distillery, save coloring matter or water. So in this case, there is something that kind of legally prohibits adding sugar to Jamaican rum. However, just like I was making that example previously about once rum leaves a country, people can then kind of do whatever they want to it in lots right. of cases. This is another example where you could find someone who buys some bulk Jamaican rum in another country and they do, you know, mm-hmm. add whatever they like to it, put it under their own brand, still say it's Jamaican rum. You'll find examples of that like that out there. And this is, again, where the GI conversation comes into frame. And the Jamaica GI is in limbo right now. You know, a GI has to be created by the country. And then that GI has to be recognized by other countries in order to be enforced. Mm-hmm. And I believe there, there's aspects of the Jamaica GI for Europe that have been kind of stalled, scuttled. It, it hasn't been accepted by the EU. I don't even know if it's in condition right now to be accepted. But basically what I'm trying to say is like there isn't that me- mechanism in place for right. other countries to be able to say, no, you can't add sugar and call it Jamaican rum. So again, at the same time, you can find lots of Jamaican rum, you know, whether it's Appleton, Hampton, Worthy Park, that's not going to have any sugar added in, uh, to it. You know, mm-hmm. the, that style of rum is very prevalent in both Jamaica and Barbados. But I want to make sure people know that, like, it's not universally true. Right. And, and I, I think there's a lot of discussion that we could be go over with GIs and Absolutely. all of that. And I think I, I think that's such a huge subject in and of itself that probably merits a series of, of episodes. Uh, and, and we've talked a little bit about it in the past, but I think there's room to continue discussing that in the future. And, Absolutely. And, 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 and I mean, things are so in flux with, right. with between Barbados, Jamaica, and Demerara rum, you know, GIs right. that are out there. Right. There's ongoing developments at all times. Uh, you can go back and listen to our episode with Richard Seal, uh, which was pretty early on, but has some good details about GIs mm-hmm. in general and also the Barbados rum GI. But yeah, like you said, right. that is a topic we want to return to in kind of its own dedicated episodes because there's a lot of ins and outs and it's really easy to get stuff wrong with it. So yeah. we want to make sure we cover that in depth at uh, an appropriate time where we can really go deep on it. I want to take a, a step back here into something that is more divisive. So I'll recognize that immediately to start with. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I guess you could also kind of see this as a misconception in its own way. So here, I'm trying to approach this in, in the right way here to have the conversation. But we talk about why those things are important and for GIs, but it doesn't necessarily mean that additives equal a bad product. Well, I mean, that's not what I am saying 
no, by pointing it, that out. But correct. I do think it's important for people to understand what they're buying. And so that if you're if you're right. if if you're going online and reading, hey, Barbados and Jamaica means there will never be sugar added at all times, right. then it's entirely possible to have an experience that runs counter to that, you know, hence right. making that a misconception. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's why I'm trying to kind of point it out with, uh, as part of the conversation, because I think it's an important piece of the conversation to understand why there is an importance around that whole concept to begin with. And it's not necessarily to say, and I think Richard is even, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but Richard Seal has even said, look, there's sugared rum has a place. Uh, and, has he and said sweet, that? Yeah, he Are said you sure? something. He he has, I think. I don't know about that. Um, I think he said something like, "If you like sweetened rum, that's fine." Okay, but well, that's a little needs... different from sugared rum has a place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe so. Different things. Maybe so. Again, I I really don't want to put words in his mouth, and that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to recall, which was forever ago, him talking about this subject of saying about sweetened rum, and and if people like sweetened rum, that's fine. But there needs to be a little bit better delineation and transparency in what that is and how that is, right? For rum consumers to know. When we look at it against bourbon, and I hate to go back to that category, but we know the codification, codification, uh, how bourbon is codified, right? Mm -hmm. We know that you have this concept of what a bourbon can be and what it is absolutely not. Rum is lacking that, right? That's interesting because, again, bourbon is a subcategory of whiskey, whiskey, right? Bourbon right. is a type of American whiskey. And so, right. again, this goes back to GIs in a way, because I think a lot of, as much as we compare rum to bourbon or rum to scotch, really the comparison to make is rum to the category of world whiskey. Yes. And within world whiskey, you have scotch, you have Irish whiskey, you have bourbon, you have rye, um, right. you have Japanese whiskey, you have right. a lot of different things. And most of those things I just mentioned have some sort of internationally recognized and respected regulations and rules. Right. Rum does not have those. And that's where GIs come into play, where as you would have, let's imagine a future where rum looks more like whiskey, you would have distinctive, you would have Barbados rum, uh, you would have Jamaica rum, you would have rum agricole, which in some places that does have those legally recognized categorical definitions and things like that. It doesn't sure. in the United States, for example, it does in the right. EU. So again, we're getting a little into the weeds with that. But I, I think, you know, for me, again, I wasn't by bringing that up, I'm not making a value judgment on sugar right. and rum. I But I do think it's important for people to be able to tell what does and doesn't have it because people do have individual preferences on that sort of thing. I have individual preferences on that. My individual preference is I don't usually buy rums that have sugar added because I'm not into that. So, right. for example, it's important for me to know when there is a misconception about rums from a certain place having or not having sugar. Right. I, I just think it's an important piece of the conversation to for you to say and for us to be clear about we're not trying to make a value judgment necessarily on the subject of, of sweetened rum versus non-sweetened, but why there's an importance around the whole idea. So that that's kind of where I was trying to get to with it. Sure. And and I think it's also like it is important to me for in, in the GI conversations, it's important for if a place is known for not having sweetened rums, that should play a factor into 
how that rule is defined within the GI, right. for example. So, like, there's some important things to that, and I know there's disagreement within, you know, that very aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I want to come back to that. Let's put a pin in, in that uh, for a I'd different love to conversation. Put a pin in that. <laughs> All right. I've got one for you to move on okay. here. All right. This one is uh, pretty, pretty classic, and I think I hear this a lot from okay. people who are less experienced with it, but yet they may even be experienced to some degree with other spirits, and yet I still hear this commonly thought of, and that is, the darker the color, the better the rum. Ooh, uh, people say that? Oh, yes, or older is better. Okay, another, older is better, I, I've heard, but y- yeah. especially in rum, darker the color, man. Like, if you think Crucian Blackstrap is the best <laughs> rum possible, then <laughs> we're going to have some words. And maybe there's a place for Crucian Blackstrap rum in certain mixed drinks or whatever. I'm not the saying case there's not a be. place for it. I'm just. But, <laughs> but the, the point there is that it, it's an obvious misconception from the start, right? Sure. That we're making a value judgment now on rum based on what the color and the age is. When we know. And, and those of us, obviously, who, who listen to this a lot are going to know how diverse rum is as, as a category. And that's part in, in, of the problem, right? It's, it's a complex thing. Mm-hmm. In, in whiskey, for instance, I, I mean, moonshine is not very commonly drank, which is, you know, whiskey before it's aged. With rum, you do have that. You have right. plenty of unaged rum that is uh, very well respected and regarded. And there's good unaged rum and there's not so good unaged well, rum. It's, you you know, part of that is because it's all still rum. Right. Right. Whereas right. unaged whiskey is right. not whiskey. Now, I'm not even trying to talk about the additives portion of this if people are adding color to the rum, right? That's a separate thing which may happen in many cases because of this exact misconception is that if it's older, therefore it must be darker because it's picked up more barrel, therefore it must be superior. Yeah. Right. And and that's kind of the I think the logic that's being used. And I think a lot of the 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 half truths or non truths, if you will, that some companies do is they darken this rum to make it appear older and therefore charge more for it because it's older and it's somehow better. Um, right. And that's rooted in this value judgment we attach to age, which we've talked many times on the podcast before that. Right. And I always go back to like our conversation with Frank Ward when he was talking about, you know, the rums that he made, the triple distilled rums that he did at Mount Gay, and how for him there was this really sweet spot for them and like the younger side of aging. Whereas exactly. he thought the ones that uh, you know, Vellier and uh Maison Ferrand released that were older, they were not his favorite because they weren't yeah. in that sweet spot of that distillate that he produced. So right. I think that's a just a great reminder, like older does not equal better. And as you pointed out, it's just even more confusing in the rum category because we have this whole thing with dark rum. Right, um, and light rum. Exactly. Where, I mean, I, I think to the layperson, they recognize dark rum more than they recognize the idea of aged rum, you know? Yep. And there's dark rum that is aged. There is dark rum that is not aged at all. Um, there's aged rums that aren't darkened. So, like, there's this yep. whole Time thing. color to age is already problematic. Right? Yeah. If, if I were to have my druthers, then the term dark rum would be reserved only for products that were intentionally darkened. Um, yes, you know the uh, the Hamilton pot still blacks the uh, the Crucian black strap yeah, stuff like yeah. that where the they're in, you know intentionally made very dark because yeah. you know that's what they're going for. But right. yeah, that's a whole 
very confusing aspect of ROM. Yeah. And before uh, we get too far, I have to say that you give me crap for calling this a program. I'm giving you crap for saying if you had your druthers. That's just wow. one of those expressions that I think is funny. Wow. You know, the word druthers is funny. Like, what are druthers? <laughs> and when you get them, what happens? I, I have know. no idea, but I'm fairly <laughs> sure that most people under the age of 75 don't say that, Will. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, can I move on to one that is sure. somewhat related to that, I think? Okay. It's another numbers-based thing. Um, this idea, and I, I see this a lot, Esther count seen mm. as a spectrum of quality, where yes. the more, the higher the Esther count of a rum, the better it's perceived to be. And again, this to me works a lot like the age conversation, where right. I think this is it's entirely a subjective thing, and to some mm-hmm. people... The older the rum is, the better it might taste to them. I think the same thing with ester count is at play, where some people really love seeking out high ester rums and they want the highest possible. But yeah. to me, there, there's not a like a linear scale of quality that goes up with esters, um, right. or even like a lot of times people talk about them in terms of like they have more flavor, and I would quibble with that just in my subjective experience i think you can have rums with lower ester counts that are incredibly flavorful because ester count doesn't necessarily capture everything about the chemical makeup of a rum like there's other stuff going on in there a lot of times ester count is only counting one type of ester and there's other types of esters there's also all sorts of volatile components and things like Mm -hmm. that i don't want to Mm -hmm. turn this into a chemistry lesson but sometimes i see people in conversations like almost feeling like a little bashful about admitting that like maybe they like one of hampton's you know, lower ester marks as opposed to, you know, (laughs) the higher ones. Like, they feel a little sheepish for saying that they, you know, like the Elrock more than the Diamond H or something like that. Um, And I, I, like, I just, to me, I I don't think people should feel that way about it. I think taste is subjective. And if something tastes better to you or more flavorful to you, that doesn't mean that it's not. It's a weird thing that we kind of confuse, we being anybody, including myself sometimes, confuse scarcity and extreme yes. with quality. That's that's a good point. And that, again, I'm not saying that, high, I'm not saying like, oh, you know, DOK doesn't have a place for being consumed neat or that, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think yeah. if you like it, that's awesome. I have enjoyed seeking out those really high ester marks and trying them on their own. It's super interesting to get to experience stuff like that. I agree. But I think when there becomes this like obsession with a high number, meaning it's the best, that's where like the conversation turns me off a little bit. Yeah. And I actually, I texted you a few weeks ago. A friend gave me this, this book about whiskey that was written by Nicholas Morgan called Everything You Need to Know About Whiskey but are too afraid to ask. And it was published in conjunction with the Whiskey Exchange, um, which okay. many of our yeah, listeners very know from ordering yeah. rum for them. They, they yeah. carry many great rums and things like that. But there's this passage about scotch that really stood out to me, and particularly Isla scotch, which is known for its kind of smoky characteristic. Do you remember me mm-hmm. texting this passage to you? I do, I do. So I want to read it real quickly because it's talking about the kind of smoky characteristic that Isla scotch is known for. I love me some Isla scotch. Keep I going. know you do. Yeah. Um, so, so here's the passage from the book. It says, 
This distinctive character is still produced by open peat fires that drive smoke through the drying malted barley, and as such, the peating process is the most difficult to control. Distillers have exacting specifications for the phenolic content of the malt they use, measured by PPMs, which stands for phenolic parts per million. Parts per million. Mm-hmm. But these are often only achieved by blending together various batches of malt with differing peating levels to reach the desired number. Some malt whiskey enthusiasts are transfixed by PPMs, always looking for the biggest number and their next hit. In whiskey culture, where the appreciation of extremes is often mistaken for knowledge or connoisseurship, some go in search of the smokiest whiskey, as if on a quest to find the hottest curry after a night of indiscriminate beer drinking. So, this reminded me somewhat a little bit, when I texted it to you, yeah. of Esther counts and how they're For talked sure. about. Um, oh, yeah. And again, I don't want to besmirch High Esther rums. I love High Esther rums. Um, like, I go seeking them out, too. But I think in doing so, sometimes we create this perception that the higher the ester count, the better the rum. And I think that's right. a, a, a false perception. But as you pointed out, often those rums are more scarce. And historically, they have been much more difficult to produce mm-hmm. and have often even fetched higher prices, you know, in bulk sales and stuff like that because they're so flavorful because they're more scarce, because they are more expensive to make because right. of the production methods involved. Right. So again, that all feeds into that perception a little bit. But I, I, I think just sometimes when I when I see people almost feel like hesitant to admit they like the lower ester rum, I want to say like, don't feel bad. It's fine. Like, yeah, those, those are great rums too. Yeah. Um, so that's just what I wanted to bring up. It's, it's like uh, you, you climb a mountain with somebody, you get to the top of like, I don't know, Mount Rainier or something, and then somebody next to you is like, Psh, this is nothing. You should go to Kilimanjaro, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or uh-huh. this is nothing, really. You, you, what you need to do is climb Mount Everest. Right, you right. Know? As if there's not an inherent value in what you have in front of you. And, and like you mentioned, it's subjective at the end of the day. And I, Absolutely. I do think... There's value to seeking it out for rum connoisseurs and hobbyists like us because we find it fun and we're exploring. But I, I certainly would agree that it doesn't necess- necessitate that it's the best product by by any shape or form. So let's go on. What do you have next? All right. I have a few here. I'm trying to figure out which one I should pick. This this should be a, like a, a, an ongoing series for us because there's there's plenty here. Yeah, um, that's why we're, we're by no means going like, to... People who are fans of rum know that there are enough misconceptions to fill a book, so we're not going to get to all of them today. We'll come back to this in a future episode. And like, my dream is to have a bunch of episodes all linked together, you know, like two years from now, so people can pull them up and go through all the misconceptions at their leisure. But um, but yeah, Mm -hmm. so hit me with your next one. This is one that I'm going to confess this has happened to me. Okay. And, and and honestly, if I'm really, truly, bluntly honest with myself now, I think it still may apply every now and then. It's the more you pay for it, the better it is. Oh, wait, are you saying that you subscribe to that? I'm not saying I subscribe to that. But yet, even though I know that the price doesn't equal quality, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to sometimes differentiate out of my head when I see, uh, let's say, two similar rums, okay, and I say one is sixty and one is eighty-five dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're even from the same distillery, and maybe one, you know, the only slight difference here is one is 
I don't know, old, slightly older, or one is they're slightly different in some way, shape, or form, right? Right. My brain says, well, that one is more expensive because it must be better. Mm, right. Like, it, it, it's hard for me to get out of that mindset is what I'm saying. So, even though I know that there are tons of rums out there, by the way, that are, are in a category that I would say is very affordable and still excellent rums, there's a part of me that always kind of looks at that $100, $150 bottle and uh, I got. I want to try that because it has to be that price for a reason. Yeah, I mean, I think we've just been like conditioned yeah. to have that expectation, not even just in rum, but just in general. But even in our last episode, I, be- I think it was our last episode where at the beginning I talked about Appleton, the new Appleton 15 versus yep. Appleton 21. And for me, it's almost like I, I do have to step back and like be like, wait a second, do I whoa, actually whoa. think, I know Appleton 21 is more expensive and I will yeah. probably buy Appleton 15 because I think it's a better value. Yeah. But am I, do, do I have the gall to say that the less expensive one is better than the more expensive older one? And you almost have to like, go against your programming to get yes. to a place where you it's can ha- say that. But, like, but that's that's what I arrived at. Like, I, I just think fif- the 15 is a better rum, even though it's significantly cheaper. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, and like we said, it's subjective. Uh, and I know there's plenty of people that argue with you that say the 21 is still better than the 15 for them, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, a, there's an amount of subjectivity in there, but what's not subjective is the pricing, right? And so we can say, as a matter of fact... There's this price for this rum, and for whatever reason, they've priced it that way. Some, I I presume, uh, talking about marketing, some are marketed more expensive simply because that's their strategy. They say, knowing what we just discussed... These companies know that, right? Right. So they're going to say, "Well, we're going to we're going to put out these lines, and we're going to put out this one uh, that's one hundred fifty dollars a bottle. Put it in a fancy bottle, but it's mostly the same stuff." And sometimes some of that increase and in, that you know that markup is is going to pay for that fancy bottle that you love yep. so much that you can't get enough of with your I am a with your fancy cork bottle. bottles and thick good shapes, glass cool yes destroying the environment but yep. you've got to have gold it. leaf print <laughs> <laughs> boxes of uh, nice you know leather boxes I admit I fall prey to that a lot so maybe this goes in line with that too is that somewhere deep within me is this value of like price and aesthetic equals quality but it really doesn't and my my brain my my human brain as opposed to my lizard brain uh, knows you have two? that. I have I have lots in there. I have a lot. No, you know what I'm talking about. I know, I know um, what the lizard brain is. Yeah. Yes. So my 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 lizard brain gets swayed by the the pricing argument, but I think it's also battling my human brain because there's legitimate reasons for prices to be higher as well. Sure. Right? I mean, so I mean, yeah. I mean, game. Uh, the reason why price tends to correlate with age is because it's literally more expensive to exactly. age rum for longer. So for they long- need to charge the, more for it. Right. And more angel share means you've got yeah. less of it after that long. So it's taking longer. So the investment is there. And then there's less of it when you get there where you want to be. Therefore, the scarcity drives up the cost and the right. price. So there's that's that the logical side of my brain is, you know, factoring all these things in as I'm standing in the aisle looking at all of these options and i'm wondering to myself is this crap marketing or is this a legitimate reason that this this rum is more impressive i guess you would say to use a word um and yet 
it doesn't always follow. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not going to name the bottle because I don't like throwing out things that uh, especially I paid a lot for and didn't enjoy as much. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to throw it on blast. But I will say there was a bottle I throw recently purchased. I'm not going to put it on blast. I think it's but, usually put it on blast. Yeah, yeah, put it on blast. Um, but there was a bottle <laughs> I recently purchased more than $150, uh-huh. which is rare for me to do. But although I appreciate it for what it is, I think it is an example of a tropically aged 17 plus year rum that is a Caribbean rum. Mm-hmm. I don't really enjoy it that much. Do you think it's because, like, it's, do you think it's aged too long for your taste for Correct. that specific I think it's rum? O- over oaked. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, it tastes bitter and over oaked for mm-hmm. me. Am I happy about it? Because there's this, I, I have this information of, of it's a certain mark. Uh, I have a lot of good transparent information on the bottle and I like that about it. But yeah, I, I, I really, I would never buy that again. Interesting. Um, just because the drinkability is really just not there for me. You know, there's, there's this whole, weird thing i guess going on about well what is at the end of the day what is the man this is like the most philosophical episode we've ever had (laughs) but i was gonna say what is the purpose of rum you know what what are you doing with it well it's you want to drink it and and enjoy it right that to me that's what i would say the purpose of rum is to experience it to enjoy it and and have that experience of drinking hopefully it's to drink it and not just to collect it right so for me that's what it is so at the end of the day getting swayed by things like I'll call myself out how it looks in the bottle, uh, even though I still think there's something there psychologically. Uh, or the being priced and being like, yeah, I, I have that bottle and it's a $150 bottle of rum so you can like show off to somebody or something. Right. That's, that's not what I want to do. So yeah, I, well, I just think it's a tough one. Can I follow on that one? Please. Um, I'll, I'll do one more and then we can close it out. But this is one that's Related to the idea of age, and you even brought up the the concept of tropical aging and angel share. Mm-hmm. But can I tell you something about what? aging in the tropics? What? I don't know if you knew this. I Did you not. know that rum ages faster in the tropics? I've heard this. <laughs> You've heard this. I know you have. <laughs> but wait a second. It ages what it ages, right? Okay, this is what I'm getting into. So, obviously, there is a big difference between rum that is aged in a tropical environment. Um, And I'm not trying to lump every tropical environment together because if you take a rum and age it in Barbados and you take that same rum and age it in Fiji, the the resultant rums after the same amount of time are still going to taste different because there's all sorts of environmental factors and everything. But exactly. What people are aware of is that when you're in that kind of tropical environment with high humidity, you're going to have a much higher angel share. The The rum is going to interact with the wood in ways faster than it would mm-hmm. if it were aged in a Science. more temperate, you know, cooler climate, like, mm-hmm. say, a Scotland or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of times you'll see people, you know, making references to uh, rum ages differently in the tropics, which is totally true. Again, 100% on board with that. But this is an actual quote that I looked up on the Appleton Rum website right now. It says, okay. it is estimated that our tropical climate causes the rum to age roughly two to three times faster and if it were in a cooler climate. And this is for me where the language here gets to a little bit of a bridge too far because then it gets into the idea, again, you were saying this is our our most philosophical episode. It is, apparently, And here's where I'm going to get to like, well, what does age mean 
to you? What does age, the act of aging, what does that entail? Time. If, if aging entails just a certain amount of um, chemical interactions or changes taking place, then maybe that's true because some things do happen faster in those environments than they do in others. But to me, right. time is irrevocably linked to the idea of aging. And right. as much as many scientific methods that exist right now to examine what happens when a spirit is aging, I just, I'm still skeptical that we have managed to fully understand every single thing that happens during the aging process. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that element of time is critical to the idea of aging. Um, and again, I am 100% on board for producers in different environments showcasing to consumers what is unique about their aging environment and what it does. And mm -hmm. again, if you want to say, our angel share is greater here, we, you know, our, it evaporates quicker here than it does elsewhere. These chemical things occur sooner here than they do if we aged in this environment. I'm all on board for that. But when it gets simplified to this idea of like stuff ages faster here, mm -hmm. that, that to me, I just, it doesn't sit right <laughs> with me. Um, and I even, I looked up a few different other places that I knew talked about you know, aging at origin in a tropical yeah. environment just to see how it was phrased in other places. And so this is from the Rum GM website. It says, uh, in Martinique, the evaporation, parentheses angel share, represents plus or minus 8% of the total volume of the barrels every year and approximately 1% to 2% of ABV per year. Because of the constant 90% humidity and high temperatures year-round in Martinique, the aging process is highly accelerated compared to that in Kentucky or Cognac. So, highly accelerated aging process. This feels a little better to me because they that's, say that's the closer. aging process. Yep. So, it's yep. talking about yep. stuff that happens during aging yep. is highly accelerated. It's right. not saying it ages right. faster necessarily. I I'll buy that. The first one sounds like they have a DeLorean down there in Jamaica. <laughs> exactly. Um. And then I pulled out... Um, uh, my my bottle of a uh, Hampton forty six, which states, which actually this is, I, I just pulled out the box that I happen to have next to my computer here. Um, this is from the first edition of this rum that came out, which okay. I believe was aged for seven years. I think it's now aged eight years. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it says it has a little section on that label that I love so much that says fully matured in the tropics. And then it says aging for seven years in a tropical climate produces an angel share equivalent to 25 years aging in continental weather. Ah, so that to me, again, that, that makes sense. Yeah, that's, and, and again, I get that that's a geekier explanation and right. that might not make any sense to a casual consumer. Mm -hmm. So I understand wanting to, you know, I'm, I'm a copywriter in my day job. I operate in the world of marketing. So I understand why someone would want to say, rum ages faster here. I was going to get just, you there. Yeah. I'm just saying, I, I don't, I, it, it doesn't sit right with me. And I feel like yeah. it's simplifying it down to the point of misinformation a little bit in a way or mis slightly misleading. Um, and again, I want these producers in the Caribbean to be able to showcase what makes aging at origin so special and so great and so worthy of a higher price because for so long people couldn't get rum that was aged in that environment and those distilleries couldn't capture all the profits that came with 
with selling rum that they aged mm-hmm. right there at origin themselves. So I want to see more of that. I just like let's 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 educate and talk about it in a way that is entirely non misleading. I think it's interesting. Your your argument there actually is uh, was really well laid out in how you brought us to where you did with it. And I think it would be hard to disagree. The interesting thing is you're making a value judgment now on copy, right? With with words and how that's pushed across and how to you, you're seeing that as, like you said, you almost feel like it's disingenuous the way they put it there. I can almost guarantee you, I don't want to speak for them either, but I can almost guarantee you that was not an intentional, like, we're going to try to, they were just trying to figure out how do we explain this to people in one sentence or less, right? With Appleton. Well, yeah, and and I'm not necessarily saying like, oh, you know, I'm not putting this in the category of lying about an age statement or a misleading age statement or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and again, I don't no, think there's something malicious. Right. It's it's a right. desire to, I think, differentiate from other products on the market. And also, right. again, like I, it's it's the simplest way to mostly understand what they're talking about. But to I me, agree. it's a little yes. misleading at the same time. And right. I, I think well, it's it, just incorrect, right? Yeah. It's plain old incorrect. You don't age faster. That the only well, way to do that would be relative I've, motion. I've always right? felt the same way about all of the quote unquote accelerated aging technologies out yeah, there. Yeah. Um, like to me, it's not accelerated aging. I get that no. your technology is causing some of these um, processes. chemical processes yeah. and mm-hmm. things to take place that happen during the aging process and you're causing them to happen sooner. But to me, that is still, right. that's not accelerating aging because aging is aging. Aging means time passing. So anyway, wow. Super into the weeds on this one, but hey. Well, it was a fun conversation, and I think we should continue to do more of it because, I I mean, there there are these, there there are reasons why these misconceptions exist, right? Yeah. Or or myths or whatever we want to call them, or even just conversations like we just had, uh, including the, the GI is a huge one, but also these other ones. And the reasons are because sometimes it's not entirely easy to have these conversations. Yeah. It really and, isn't like, um, and I'm, you know, if, if, uh, if there were aspects, if there were certain things that we got wrong in this, which I'm is sure entirely possible. Yes. So please let us know if so, and we will issue corrections. Yes. Um, but yeah, and even like, you know, writing down notes on some of these before the episode, making sure I had all my ducks in a row and understood everything, <laughs> you know, in order to talk about this stuff, like it requires it's, it's really easy to, to get something wrong. And that's the whole spirit of what we're trying to do is to... No uh, pun intended. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is, is, is to get past that and correct it. Awesome. Well, I, I hope you all uh, enjoyed some of this uh, as much as we did or all of it. And um, hopefully we can have a similar discussion in the future. If there are other myths or misconceptions or miscreants, as I said earlier, uh, <laughs> that are that are doing things in rum that you wanted to be discussed and, and to hear us talk about, uh, let us know. Um, contact us at host at rumcast.com. We will answer you there on email as soon as we can. And uh, or we can we can also do social media as well usually social media is my domain but will i'm gonna give you a shot at it this time and see uh where are we at on social media oh man i think we're at the rumcast <laughs> on that's correct facebook and instagram ding, 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 is ding. that correct that is correct you are correct wow. and also twitter 
we've okay, been nice. upping our Twitter game. And Will, you're in charge of the YouTube channel, so I'm 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 surprised you somehow forgot about that. <laughs> so the 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 YouTube channel has been blossoming. We're seeing subscribers now, even though we haven't pushed the video side of the content there. Which Will, we got to get on that. That's right. We're just trying to give people as many convenient places to listen as they want. So yeah, there's there's no added video component there, but you can listen to us on YouTube if that's your thing. But yeah, I, as John said, we would love to hear what myths, misconceptions, or your 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 sort of least favorite marketing speak things. Send them in. I mean, we only got through maybe a quarter of yeah. my list personally, so mm-hmm. there's a ton more. We obviously didn't want to release a four-hour episode of us talking about all this stuff, <laughs> so um, we'll 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 drip these out over time and hopefully add to them because myths and misconceptions they're not static there's new ones happening all the time so we'll try to stay on top of them all right thank you all so much for listening and we we look forward to seeing you back next time yep